everybody. What's going on? Welcome to This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw, your founder. And on the other end of the microphone over there is Haley Smith. Hi. I was going to just... see if you take the cue. Oh. Jump in. It's me. It's me, Haley Smith. You know her from the, the Once I Was films. <laughs> yes. All sorts of other things. Haley, it's good to have you with us again. Thank you for having me. Happy to how be here. Have, uh, how you been? We last talked to you, I think, sometime before the holidays, probably. Okay. Or something like that. You're like, okay, I believe yeah. you. Sure. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That yes. was it. I know. Yes. <laughs> Let's see. What have I been doing? Just, you know, just hunkering down. I got a little touch of the COVID. <laughs> just some wee COVID. <laughs> just a wee bit of COVID. Um, I did a Hooked on Phonics commercial. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Hooked on Phonics is making a comeback. I was about to say, that's that's still a thing? It exists? That's Are what I still... said when I got the commercial. <laughs> but it hasn't come out yet. Pro- how was the audition process for the Hooked on Phonics <laughs> commercial? How many callbacks were there? I'm very curious about this. Uh, um, I, it, well... I don't know. It was a it was a group of people I'd worked with before, so okay. oh. I auditioned. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> they they wrote it with you in mind. Yes. That's okay. That's no, okay. Um, yeah, it was re- it was a really had a they had a really fun angle, and but yeah, I was could not believe the hooked on font. I was like, wait, it wasn't that. It's like been a good twenty years or thirty years since I've heard anything about hooked on phonics. Now, so, g- yeah. given. I know that obviously your career has not only spanned the Latter Day Saint realm, but is Hooked on Phonics a Latter an LDS connection at all? Is that are they? Uh, I don't think part of so. Okay. I don't think so. This particular like production company has a lot of clients, like okay, like not just in Utah. So um, they really liked their pitch, and so. Yeah. Hooked on Phonics is a. I'm looking. They've got a Wikipedia entry as well. They should. Oh, they're well. They're distributed by Simon and Schuster. I mean, that's that's the real deal here. Yeah. It started in 1987. They have a mobile app. Oh my god. <laughs> it started in 1987. Okay, I knew it was like I was hearing about it when I was a tween teen. Oh, but- I, yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I, I think, are. Close yeah. to the same age, I imagine. Contemporaries, and, um, yes. Yes, we're contemporaries. <laughs> I think we both, did we both graduate high school in the 90s? Yes, right in the middle. You're in the middle, so you might be a little bit ahead of me. But yes, yeah. I, was at the, I was at the tail end of it right there. But yeah. Well, yeah. that's fun. I can't wait I to know. see that commercial on the, on the broadcast television I don't watch. Where will I see this? Is this going to be- Probably YouTube. <laughs> Probably YouTube? Yeah. I'm going to start searching a lot for Hooked on Phonics. So that way when I'm watching YouTube- It'll serve the algorithm will serve up a relevant ad. I'm, that way, I can uh, I want to capture that. Oh yeah, is that? Oh, that's a good idea. I should do that too. My YouTube <laughs> ads are a are a bizarre mix right now. I see. So I do. I mean, I work in uh, I work in marketing and advertising for a, a on a government contract for recruiting for a certain government agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and now because I spend so much of my time like looking for stuff and things like I like I see the ads now in my personal life. Like I'm scrolling on my phone and I'm like, <laughs> "There's that one we approved the other week." <laughs> Yeah, there it is in the wild. It's always a weird <laughs> feeling when something you did for work is just like on the internet there with all its tracking links ready to yeah. go. It's just, it's Tell me about feeling. it. <laughs> Says the man who's been producing podcasts for over twelve years. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh well, good. I'm glad stuff's going okay. I'm glad that we COVID didn't last too long. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It got. I was able to keep my college daughter home for an extra week. So you'd think that I planted it on her, but I didn't. Oh, you wanted this. <laughs> 
I was like, oh, you have to stay an extra week and snuggle with me and watch TV. Okay. I hope I get to that point. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, how many president- years? Today's, today's President's Day, and that means I don't have to work, and my kids aren't in school. <laughs> and we're all together all day. <laughs> and I love them very much. <laughs> oh, they're fun. Well, yeah. we've got. Um, a lot of, you know, last week, of course, we had news. We talked a lot about Brad Wilcox last week. Thanks to those of you who tuned in uh, to that one. We appreciated your feedback. And if you haven't listened to the show, please do. I'm hoping you're aware of the Brad Wilcox brouhaha. If you're not, please go listen to that show. Um, lots gone down there. It seems like things have quieted down a little bit on the Brad Wilcox front. We haven't heard much more from him. Mm-hmm. I did have one small follow-up to okay. the Brad Wilcox situation. So since we recorded the episode last week, one more thing had happened. BYU's uh, Black Student Union, who, this was awesome. They they wore all black and they uh-huh. even took a picture in front of the Brigham Young statue, you know, right there in the main quad. Yeah. It looked like a Black Panthers photo in front of Brigham Young's oh, statue. Oh, in front of the was, statue. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was just kind of awesome. But yeah. Their, but their purpose was they went to Brad Wilcox's class. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to like talk with him. They were not. This yeah. was not like a violent rushing of pitch, you know, uh, torches and pitchforks or of anything course. like that. Of course, that's totally fair. Wilcox. Yeah. So they went to uh, the Jesse Knight building, mm-hmm. and, he's, and they said when we got there, we were met with security outside the classroom door. Yes, the BYU gave Brad Wilcox security detail, and if you've seen pictures of these security guys, they look like they fell out of a vi- out of a Vivint ad. Um, it's oh. just brotastic and they're, they're great people. And, uh, but they're just, it, it looks like, it looks like the most random security you'd ever see. Cause it's not like uniform people. It's just oh. like some guys just in like black t-shirts with their phones, just standing there. Like, oh. oh we're going to keep this legit. Okay. Um, anyways, wow. so, uh, they showed up, they were not allowed to go in and sit down. They oh. said that we were, they were trying to force their way in, which nothing happened. It was, but they did sit. Dur- while he was doing class or they're waiting for class to be over like that that part is murky to me because it says they wanted to go in there and like sit down and have a sort of a dialogue but obviously if it's yeah. going into a classroom like I, I don't i don't think you need to disrupt a class if there's one yeah. going on in the moment they said um they were waiting calmly outside the door we didn't have any disturbance um in the video bird says that they were able to meet with wilcox briefly after his class ended okay so that's fair don't don't disrupt the class you know that, yeah you know, yeah, but but their their rep said Brad Wilcox didn't want to have an extended conversation then and there, but they could talk in the future, mm-hmm. which is good. Yeah, take the time. Take the time. Well, yeah, it's a conversation that that needs to continue to happen. <laughs> like it's not a conversation that you just go, oh, well, that came up again. Well, you know, push it back under the rug. It, this needs to be an ongoing conversation for sure. So yeah. that's good. Uh, like we said, I think credit to Brad Wilcox. I, I think in many ways he's a product of our time and certain mm-hmm. cultural things in this and that. But, and what we said last week, he could he should apologize for not just for what if something he said offended somebody, but like mm-hmm. actually said no, this content was like bad. And I think he's, but I think he's been receptive to that. I don't think Brad Wilcox has a a malicious bone in his body or yes. anything like that. I no, think he's, he and, I, and I think he's me as a very good person a very loving well-meaning person yeah it's yeah, and he strikes me as someone who wants to learn from yeah. his mistakes and do better and so i hope he yeah. but i hope he does and i hope it'll be a, yeah. a call to all of us to yeah. likewise do better if we're not doing better so that was our last update that might wind up being the last update on brad wilcox front unless like something crazy happens and the church releases him from the young men's pre- you know like hastily reorganizes the young men's presidency and conference 
but they were like barely put in there. So I don't think that's yeah, gonna happen. probably really. not. That, that would be pretty uh, pretty obvious. I can't believe conference is only like five weeks away now. Jeez. I know that's Sorry. true. That means Sorry. spring is coming. That's fine. I'll allow it. That's what they tell me. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So so that went down. Um, yeah. We have a lot of other BYU stuff though this week. I guess we could get into some of that. Some okay. of it's a little bit older. Okay. Than other weeks, but we haven't talked about it because last week yeah. was a lot of Wilcox. Week before that, we had our interview with Tyler with the Fever. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this um, week I asked a friend. I was like, "Hey, whatever happened with that Title IX suit?" <laughs> I I heard, "Oh, it got dismissed." I didn't, and I hadn't known that. So, just and what was the context? And what was the context on this one? It was that. Um, I believe the the argument was that because uh, this was the Department of Education was allegedly was investigating BYU for Title IX violations, it's particularly that they allegedly were not treating um, LGBTQ um, mm-hmm. students the same yeah. way. Like they that were they not, were being discriminated yes. against, and apparently the complaint was filed last March, but BYU wasn't aware of it until October when they were given notice that the case was huh. opened. So they go that long without even telling them what's going on. Uh, yeah, but you know, I guess it was dismissed because they did assert, you know, their religious exemption. Um, so, you know, that was, they're able to close the case because BYU has religious exemption that applies to this issue. So, yeah. I, it seems I, pretty cut and dry. I didn't yeah. think anything was going to. I don't think anything was going to happen with this specifically because of the religious exemptions to Title IX. Like, what was they going to do? Just say no, you don't have that anymore. Well, and it did mention that there are there are there are several institutions that have these religious exemptions, mm-hmm. which kind of made me curious about like just how many, <clears throat> you know, educational institutions are exempt from um, Title IX requirements. And you can read, there's a lengthy letter the Department of Education actually sent over. Um, and they say very clearly, we reaffirm that the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution protects the autonomy of religious institutions, including BYU, to be free from government involvement in the teaching or practice of religion um, and from excessive entanglement in their religious affairs. Further, federal law prohibits the government from imposing any substantial burden on our religious free exercise. It is not the least restrictive means of meeting a compelling government interest. So that, that's the gist right there. I mean, then they say Title IX is designed to eliminate, with certain exceptions, discrimination on the basis of sex in any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. But um, anyways, they basically say, you know, BYU's got its own definition of things. Title IX does not apply to discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. And because BYU, as you said, Haley, has the uh, religious exemption. I've, we can link to this full version if you want here. There's a lengthy back and forth here of letters from the church and back and this and that and everything. But uh, yeah, that's some of the, I guess this is the original one that they sent to them. Wow. Oh boy. They actually send them the family proclamation. BYU sent huh. as exhibit four in its, po- in its package. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be interesting to go on to campus and talk to the students and see what they think about the situation. Because I just like that they said, "No, you know what we're going to do, guys? We're going to send them the family proclamation. That is our defense." (laughs) And apparently, it was. Apparently, it worked. It's an official proclamation. Uh, It is official, but not yet official declaration three in the Doctrine and Covenants, as many people um, Hmm. think. Uh, assume. Uh, another thing going down has gone down here at BYU in recent weeks. So uh, 
you've probably seen this. I can't believe we haven't talked about it. I think the sisters might have spoken about it a little bit. But basically, the idea is the church educational system announced many weeks ago now that all employees who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will be required to hold and be worthy to hold a current temple recommend. That one's very curious to me because they're basically saying like it's not enough to have the temple recommend. If you have a temple recommend and you like have some issues, but it's not to the level your temple recommend will be taken away, but your bishop is saying like you're not worthy to go to the temple right now, but I'm not taking your recommend away. Sorry, I just I get lost in words, but I think it's funny you have to be yeah. required to hold and be worthy to hold the recommend. Um, yeah. Church members already <clears throat> working at CES institutions will be invited to adopt the standard voluntarily. So it applies to all new employees. Um, but not current employees? The current if you're already there, you are invited to invited. adopt. It's an invitation, like a lot of things. We invite okay. you. We so, invite you okay. To. So in the past, church employees have had to have ecclesiastical endorsements, And right? that's been the deal. If you're a CES employee, you had to have an ecclesiastical endorsement to hold okay. a job. And I only Which remember is, like my ecclesiastical endorsement from my bishop when I was going to BYU. But how, what, like, what kind of things did they? Was it an interview where, or, or where they ask, you know, or, or is it just like them, the bishop signing it and saying, yeah, no, they're good. Uh, it's a mix. I mean, if you remember the, the the a lot of the parts of an ecclesiastical endorsement could parallel. Yeah, a, uh, like it's similar. I would a temple recommend it in many, many ways. I'm trying to bring up if I can find some of the actual questions. Okay, come on. What is it? No, I don't want to issue one. Come on, LCR. Just trying to find the wording. But basically, that's the gist of it. I mean, you know, are you good? You support stuff. I mean, you know, I, I yeah. knew many BYU students who flatly lied about things because yeah. they didn't want to get you didn't want to get kicked out of school. Well, yeah, and that's the thing here. Endorsement. It's like if you have your livelihood on the line, um, yeah. are you maybe a little bit more like inclined to lie a little bit? I don't know. That would be a concern, I would think. I could totally see that being the case. I mean, it's hard because when your ability to attend a un- to attend your university is contingent upon you having that endorsement, yeah, there's a little bit of bishop roulette there. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm and I'm not condoning, you know, oh, breaking yeah. the commandments, and I'm not even getting on BYU's case for for requiring an ecclesiastical endorsement. The, you know, right. they have they have their standards, and that's fine. Yeah, but you can run into this little issue where, like, what if you, you know, heaven forbid, who knows what it is? I don't want to be too graphic here, but yeah. what if you're like a guy, you go out with a girl, and you're making and you feel her up or something, yeah, right? And I think for different individuals and different leaders, that could merit very different consequences and reactions. And you uh-huh. could very well have one uh, one bishop who might be like, all right, well, we don't want to do that. Let's try to be better. Let's work harder. You know, I'm here to help you. If you need things, let's let's work through this. You could have another who'd be like, you have dishonored your priesthood yep. and I am not going to be able to issue this to you. And then you're like, mm-hmm. cool, can I still go to school? And they're like, I don't know. You might have to be on probation or things yeah. like that. And that can be the hard thing because you just, you know, it's not uniform across who the leaders are, even though the questions are basically the same thing. You know, there's the academic policy, the dress and grooming standards, the residential standards, honor right. code, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, that's the fun thing. So, that's the ecclesiastical endorsement. I think this takes it to a new level, though, with it being- Well, that's what I mean. Like, it's your, it's your like, kind of private time with your spiritual leader, but you're also thinking- got to keep my job or I need to get this job or whatever. I don't know. It, it seems to be a conflict of interest there. I think a little bit. I mean, ecclesiastical <laughs> endorsements were a little bit less formal in that sense. I yeah. mean, the bishop, it's kind of just me with your bishop syncing up, seeing how you're doing and making sure everything's okay. But a temple recommends highly formal. And that literally means like, and it's, and it's multi-layered too. It multi-layered. Means like, have your, yeah. 
have your job. You have to pass the, the what, whatever, 14 odd questions with your bishop. Uh-huh. And then also with a member of a stake presidency. Um, uh-huh. We're hoping everyone's in good standing and you can do that, of course, but it also yeah. makes your, um, it's kind of goofy because it's like, like, what if you struggle to pay tithing? If that's your business, but if tithing's a thing for you, you could probably have an ecclesiastical endorsement and not be a full tithe payer, but you can't have a temple recommend if you're not a full tithe payer. Right. That's just an example. That's the one I think is the funniest because BYU is paying your salary and then you have to give 10% of it back to the church <laughs> to continue being employed by BYU. You're like, can you just it's give a- me a raise to cover it? <laughs> Or you're like, can you just like cut this out at the gross level so you don't? I don't have to waste my time with it. Just, just shave it off the top. Yeah, just take it off with yeah, health <laughs> insurance, insurance, taxes. That way, it actually lowers my taxable income up yes. front instead of later on. Um, yeah, and there's an article over it by Common Consent by John S. who kind of talks about a little of this. Like he says, that one big issue, of course, um, you know, it creates a transactional employment relationship. Yeah. And what should be an opportunity for counseling and spiritual growth? That's the issue I'd worry about too. Because if you have sins that are at the level of you could not have a temple recommend and you need to work through some stuff. Good for you for seeking guidance and good for you for wanting to work through those things. But if it means you lose your temple recommend and you're a CES employee, then like- Yeah. Well, and it, gonna- it really does give that leader, that bishop, that so much power over people, over, <laughs> you know, I don't know. So, which I guess it, it just depends on who you have, right? Like you want to believe that everyone is- good and well-intentioned and wants the best for you. And, but I'm sure there's been situations and cases where people do kind of, you know, that power. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I I can't imagine it it would be very difficult to be in that position. I wouldn't want that job, but, um, no, it's tough. I don't know. That's tough. I mean, I, I, and, and let alone, and when you're working for the church, you're, there's already the whole like, you know, consecration idea that, that, uh, from what I understand, jobs vary, I'm sure, but in most of the people I've talked to who are employed by the church, not this, and that's the church overall. Okay. CES is a little subset. So this specifically applies to CES. But obviously, if you are working for the church, even in the IT department, uh, you have to have a, Temple recommend. I mean, that's part of that's the whole mm-hmm. the whole big church apparatus, and I feel like this is just kind of extending that, yeah, uh, more formally into the BYU realm. If you're a member of the church and if you're coming on as a, a new employee, boy, are those people kicking themselves who didn't manage to get that little that little offer a year ago, right? <laughs> the ones who really want to mess around and not. Uh, <laughs> to keep... Well, I know because if they if they they tell current employees that they're only invited, and we know we know how that goes. The words invite and urge. Are like, oh, I don't have to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny. Like, I had some poli sci. I remember I had one poli sci professor. I think she was just adjunct, but um, I knew that off. She was a member of the church, but I knew that offline. I think she like kind of like casually would have coffee and stuff here and there, and wasn't. Uh-huh. I don't think she was. I don't believe she was endowed or things like mm-hmm. that. She was kind of frank about it more during office hours, and like, okay, that's her deal. I valued very much her capability as, as an instructor and in her mm-hmm. field of expertise and the things I learned from her classes, and those were good. So. Things like that are interesting to me because it's this big like purity statement mm-hmm. about like, okay, would would this individual no longer be worthy to share her knowledge with learning minds? And mm-hmm. people might come at me for saying that and say, look, it's the church, it's BYU, it's mm-hmm. the Lord's University. You want to shore things up. I know this kind yeah. of falls along with Elder Holland's remarks last summer, mm-hmm. right? We need to protect BYU and what it stands for. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be just a further extension of that. Well, kind of along similar lines, um, there was a BYU professor that was fired and she believes it was because of her advocacy for LGBTQ um, students, individuals. 
So I thought that was interesting because um, <clears throat> I think that would put a lot of people in kind of an uncomfortable <laughs> position if they're worried. Another reason to, you know, to worry about their job if they're just, um, I don't know. I, I don't know at to what level she was like being outspoken about her personal beliefs, but that's, um, I think, concerning that her, she feels that it cost her her job. Yeah. And it's funny because she was an adjunct professor, which is when you're an adjunct, um, it's a very different situation for you. It's almost like you're kind of an ad hoc. You're not like a, you're not a substitute, yeah. but you are not a tenured right. part of the team. Right? right. Right. And even though she, she spent 28 years that's working. That's a long time. At school, that's a long time to put up with being an adjunct professor. For goodness sake, I would be like, I mean, adjuncts get the rough end of a lot of things. If you're tenured, you've got, even at BYU, you have certain protections if yeah. you're tenured. Um, the curious thing is, uh, for one thing, she, she can only guess that these were her views. Right. This is, by the professor's name was is Sue Bergen. Um, she can only guess because Utah is an employment at will state or what you, what's known as a right to work state, which means, uh, you can be fired and without cause and you don't have to know why, mm-hmm. and you have no recourse really. And so even though BYU is a private school, that part of things applies and you can be fired and they'll just say, sorry. And you can mm-hmm. say, what did I do? And they'll be like, it doesn't matter. And they may never tell you. Yeah. But what she does know is that an administrator above her supervisor made the call and her department chair was instructed to carry it out. And and the curious thing about this is that department chairs are usually the ones who make the calls on employees. So she thinks someone even higher up at the school uh, had an issue with something she might have shared online or in the classroom. Basically, somebody higher up made a call and pushed it down and told somebody to get rid of her. Is it once again yeah. her assumption? She'll, and she'll probably never right. know. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know that's the case. I think that's very unfortunate. I mean, it says she uh, would wear a rainbow pin to let people she was let people know she was a safe person. She would mention she had has two gay brothers. I mean, it sounds like pretty, you know, harmless. It just, you know, being a really good, <laughs> decent, safe person. And um, yeah, I think we need more people like that at BYU, not less. So... Especially because, and of course, BYU would not um, comment on any particulars of it. They just said, yeah. you know, you're always in a semester-long contract, and it could be renewed for many different reasons. Carrie Jenkins, yeah. who, we're, who we're convinced might actually be a real person. I've wondered if, if she's just a bot that issues press releases, <laughs> because she seems not to have much of a presence other than, I don't want Carrie Jenkins' job. But uh, <laughs> yeah, BYU, of course, like, they're not going to comment on this. Why would they? They're not going to get into a mix of it. There's no, no. there's nothing. They don't have to. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, it'll be curious to see what happens with this. I mean, she asserts she's a faithful member of the church and it uh, doesn't mm-hmm. seem, I've never, I don't know anyone who knows her. I'd love to know from our listeners, if any of you guys uh, know mm-hmm. Professor Bergen or know anyone who does, I'd be curious about the experiences with her. But if she was truly uh, teaching what the church teaches and not going beyond that and yeah. not saying anything out of turn, then that's that's troubling. And interesting too, in the in the Tribune article, um, it mentions that her dad was a psychology professor at BYU and championed the idea that homosexuals could make themselves straight through self-discipline. Oh, and then he he apologized for that. But I mean, apparently he had two gay sons, so I'm sure that helped to change his stance. Um, One would hope. But that's, yeah, so interesting. It took us a long time to even denounce conversion therapy as a church. Mm-hmm. Like... A shockingly long time. I'm glad we have, mm-hmm. but that's, uh, yeah, 
product of a different age. Uh, another BYU thing here, folks. This is a curious one that came out. Um, if you listened last week, Jared and I were talking about like, oh, you didn't want near the end, like you don't want to talk about that one thing. And he's like, oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> so I'm taking it right now. <laughs> okay. We were, we were a lot, we were been running very long on that episode because of brother Wilcox. Of course. So, um, this is a press release from the American speech language hearing association or ASHA, ASHA, mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's ASHA. Um, that's a, it's a statement on Brigham Young university administration decision to deny speech services for transgender clients. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about here is, uh, this is an, an organization, an association, you know, professional association for speech therapists, speech pathologists, etc. And most people in, in um, any, many professions are members of associations and usually abide by a certain code of ethics pertaining to that. Part of it can be part of being certified for your position. And the issue here is they are alleging that um, BYU has updated standards that now run contrary to the code of ethics of these professionals that might work for BYU. So the specifics of it here are that ASHA, they say they recognize that, you know, gender affirming voice and communication services for transgender uh, and gender diverse populations within the speech. They, they, they believe in, you know, doing that as part of being a speech pathologist is helping people that might be transitioning genders. Okay. They provide vital clinical services to genders, diverse populations who may have have voice or other speech language disorders unrelated to their gender. That's one part, as well as services to individuals whose voices do not reflect their gender. Transgender individuals who attempt to modify their voice without a trained speech language pathologist risk risk permanent damage to their vocal cords. I thought that was so interesting. You know, yeah. I had never really thought about that aspect of transitioning of needing to work with a speech therapist, but it totally makes yeah. sense. That's- and so, basically, saying like without appropriate services, you're at an increased health. You also you're just have better a higher risk of mental health challenges, emotional health challenges. And so their job is to ensure treatment for all individuals in need of speech, language, hearing, and other related services, including transgender individuals, is consistent with their code of ethics. So sorry to lay some groundwork there. The issue they have here is that their code of ethics says individuals shall not discriminate in in the delivery of professional services or in the conduct of research and scholarly activities on the basis of race, ethnicity, sex, gender identity or gender expression, sexual orientation, age, religion, national origin, disability, culture, language, or dialect. Um, The issue with BYU is, of course, BYU is just not allowing their certified speech language pathologist to provide those sorts of services to transgender clients. Which makes sense from a church perspective, because while the church the church admits, if you read handbook section thirty eight, which I actually love that the ASHA people actually dug up the handbook and quoted the handbook about this, but you know they say as it says in the handbook, transgender individuals face complex challenges. Members and non-members who identify as transgender and their family and friends should be treated with sensitivity, kindness, compassion, and an abundance of Christ-like love. And it goes on to say, some children, youth, and adults are prescribed hormone therapy by a licensed medical profession to ease gender dysphoria or reduce suicidal thoughts. Um, they're pointing this out and then they they omit some of the other parts in that section. Basically, the church is saying, be compassionate to transgender individuals, but at the same time, the church has stressed that transgender individuals looking to change their sex could face church discipline. That's part of what's in section 38. Mm-hmm. Um, section 38 of the handbook stresses that uh, you can receive priesthood blessings, but you can only do it based on your gender at birth. So if you are a transgender woman, I guess you could still get the priesthood because biologically you are a man, you know, right. that's your sex at birth. Um, so those, so there's some thorny stuff here. I think this is just a really fascinating area in general where they're basically saying, BYU, 
you are like not doing this. And also they yeah. say for the university to take action that, that bans them from doing this, the transgender client's protected health information would have been provided to the BYU administration to do so, which is a violation of the HIPAA privacy rule. Right. As well. so, so it is saying, a major call out by yeah. Asha. Is it Asha? Asha? I don't know. Asha. This is the first time they've ever been in the news. So really? either way, no, I don't know. No, <laughs> I know. I, hey, it's, it's, I'm learning about that. You know, the, the sad thing is my wife got her degree in speech pathology, so I should probably, she probably is aware. Do you know of what? My yeah. sister-in-law is a speech therapist, so I'm going to have to ask her about that. She probably knows who they are. Yeah. I so I don't know. This is, this is a really curious area. Obviously, I don't understand a lot of the ins and outs of the code of ethics. If you're a speech pathologist, mm-hmm. um, I understand BYU's position feeling like they're sort of encouraging what the what would you know err on the side of of I don't know troublesome behavior from a gospel perspective from a BYU perspective basically encouraging those who are transitioning to further that experience um so I kind of get both cases here I just don't know what the appropriate solution would be like it's hard to tell BYU well you need to provide the services I mean legally they probably should but yeah um, I, I, don't I don't know, know. it, it seems like probably someone who's considering you know transitioning their their they're not going to be like, oh, well, now I can't get speech. Well, I guess I won't do it anymore. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky position. I don't know. I think- they also remind BYU that their master's program is accredited by the Council on Academic Accreditation in Audiology and Speech Language Pathology. Um, I think they're basically say, kind of like saying like, eh, your accreditation in these programs could potentially be at risk because right. you might, you're violating some of these ethical standards. I'm, really, I'm just curious. If this this was published on February 11th. Um, I'm, I want to track this and see if anything happens. This isn't the kind of thing that's yeah. going to make the news. I mean, obviously, this is just a press release. I haven't seen this picked up by any. Well, and is, that like, a, is that like a really, is that a core master's program for BYU, the speech oh. language? I People know. I know who get masters in speech language or pathology, all the ones I've known might have gotten their undergrads at BYU, but did not go there for grad school. They mm-hmm. all went to like Northwestern or other places that have more notable programs. But mm-hmm. I don't know how BYU's yeah. graduate program ranks on that front. No, that is interesting. Yeah, I'm going to ask my sister-in-law, who is we'll a speech, yeah, pathologist, but also not LDS. She's Catholic, so oh, well, it'd be interesting to get her. I mean. <laughs> I actually, be, I would be curious for her take because maybe, yeah. like, how is it for I don't know, Notre Dame or some other school? Yeah. Like, are they in, are they in a similar boat? I'm always yeah. curious to compare BYU's the things BYU works through in terms of uh, discrimination suits and things like that, along with other religious universities which face similar issues. We just don't talk about them as much because we're in our little LDS bubble, right? Again, I do not want to be on the faculty or PR team. <laughs> BYU. BYU. You know, every time I think I should just go live in Provo again. <laughs> you read the news? <laughs> I read the news and then I look at Utah's real estate, which has gotten absurd. And, uh, and then- <laughs> that's, another, that's another issue, actually. That, um, oh, yeah. If I can digress for a second. Please. maybe. Obviously, we all know globally, the economy, everything's pretty wobbly right now. I mean, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's difficult to come out of a near gr- standstill of an economy that started back in March 2020. 22 and a lot it's a lot of other pieces I have to come back together again I yeah. so one I hope people can remember that like this isn't all falling on politicians shoulders it's just that everything got crazy nearly two years ago right and it takes a lot of time for things to normalize again but still even with that you know d- there's heavy demand on a lot of things that we don't have enough of and the housing market of course has been Ugh. 
all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Ugh. I mean, come on, Haley. You've probably seen your beautiful Colorado home quintuple in value. <laughs> Colorado market was hot even before COVID. Uh, but but it's it, it has no sign of ever like. It just Stopping. is going to go up and up and up and up. Yeah. And, you know, we're like, oh, when our kids, you know, all graduate, we'll move out of the suburbs, buy something else. And we're like, wait, if you sell your house, great, but you can't get back in anywhere. <laughs> like, Not unless you want to move down to Pueblo. I or guess. Like I don't even right. know where you can go. And that's the thing. It's it's um, Looking at Zillow right now is extremely depressing because you look at like <laughs> random markets you wouldn't think would even matter yes. as much you know so quote unquote flyover country and you're like say what now like yeah. why are why are like the medium prices in kansas city suburbs up to like six hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars? like these were three hundred thousand dollars you know where is is not super inflated um ohio apparently i don't Columbus know it's still pretty bad though i think but well, Columbus is cool yeah my um my yeah my brother-in-law and sister-in-law out there their house like surprisingly has barely gone up at all in like three years. <laughs> like, why are you in this just pocket of Ohio? I have I to imagine, I know a lot of the hipsters have come to like Buffalo and Detroit, you know, cause they ha- you can buy houses there for like $40,000. Um, <laughs> I imagine that's still, some, that's some hardcore Rust Belt. That's probably still mm, doing okay. Detroit. Nice. My, my point of, br- of saying any of this is I saw yes. this on a, th- a thread this week in a discussion board. Um, affordability should be an issue for a lot of us. And Utah's housing market has been blisteringly hot for, yes. for the past while. And it's gotten sig- significantly worse uh, during the pandemic. Uh, Utah for a long time, I mean, as a Californian, right? I knew plenty of people who are still able to do it because California's market's insane. But you know, you mm-hmm. cash out in California, build yourself that beautiful McMansion in Highland, live that dream. You know, it's this is, this is the stuff. And you can still pull it off yeah. because your crappy post-war bungalow in California still sells for $1.2 million, yes. even though it has no business doing so. But uh, I wonder how much the church thinks about this. We like, especially in Utah politics where the church weighed in on something you know, a couple of years ago when they were looking at removing the Zion curtain, which is the little, the divider it means you can't see where alcohol is prepared at restaurants in Utah. Oh. And there was a bill to get rid of it. And the church actually made a video even about it and said like, no, 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 we should keep this. We should keep this. And I think there's so many interesting issues that the church chooses to get involved in, at least in Utah politics. I'm actually surprised we haven't done more to talk about the housing crisis and affordability and like, cause they should care. I mean, Utah is one thing where people are still moving there. They're building temples like crazy, Oh yeah. but there are lots of places in the church that are contracting in the United States because people can't afford to live there anymore. And I mentioned my native California, like the stake I grew up in was dissolved this time last year. Uh, right. and it was one of the oldest stakes in the Southland. And that's specific. People just can't. No one's moving in, and everyone's moving farther. In California, they keep moving farther and farther east. But even that gets too pricey. They go to Arizona. Even that's getting pricey. Yeah. I know in some senses it matters overall. Like, well, okay, the church membership will just migrate. But I just have to wonder well, how much when they'll be concerned about Utah yeah. and its housing. And issues. especially if you know they want us to get out of debt and and reduce our debt and, and have <laughs> single fam- single family incomes with mothers being in the home yes, and those and sorts of things. Everyone's just getting more and more debt. And I I have a friend who's in Utah right now who's wanting to buy a house, but she's like, I don't understand where all these people get all their money from, and I. I don't know. I did live in a certain town for a couple of years there, and I there was a certain level of white collar crime in my <laughs> 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 neighborhood. 
You're not calling out Pleasant Grove, but you're calling out Pleasant Grove now. Um, it was right around the doTERRA um, campus. You already Everyone mentioned it. it. I Well, that's all I'll say. You already named I, it. I singled out Highland? Man, yeah, man. Highland. I don't know. I, that was Highland a long is like time a, ago. Highland is something of a step 40 in paradise is how I how I see it. It's, it's kind of <laughs> like a daybreak, you know? It's just, it's where you go. It's where the action is. Yeah. It's, I used to, I used to have dreams about daybreak. Back when daybreak was being built, when I was finishing up my time at BYU, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be awesome. And you look at how much houses cost there. I'm like, oh my gosh, Utah's great. It's so affordable. I can spend 350 grand and get a whole house. And now you look at Daybreak. I'm like, cool. So that's $1.5 million. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Anyway, there's no particular story here. I just- um, No, no. I wonder how much they think about- I know they're aware of it. Yeah. Why why does the church not take affordability of housing under its wing? I mean, we're bothering to build nice condominiums in, in City Creek, right? Yeah. Are we bothering to care about affordable housing developments going in in places? I I know it's it's very granular, like city planning, urban planning is not sexy and it doesn't make a lot of headlines, <laughs> but the church getting involved and saying like, hey, we kind of owe it to our brothers and sisters to make life affordable. And we're not telling you how to like pay people for their jobs or this or that, but yeah, maybe a little bit more density could be useful. Maybe better transit could be a good thing. Mm. Yeah, maybe we could invest more in affordable housing. Just think yeah. We don't talk about it. No, that's, yeah, I think it's definitely an issue. Everyone's going there. Seriously, it's crazy right now. All right. Well, um, we've had a lot of BYU stuff. Oh, yeah. Should we get away from BYU? Yeah, let's let's, let's do something really nice. Okay. And that's going to unite everybody. Talk about COVID. So, <laughs> oh, good old COVID. Last week, the church sent out a letter mm. to leaders to be read. They didn't say if it was to be read. Um, updating COVID-19 guidelines. And then when you mm-hmm. see this headline, you're like, dude, what is happening? Like, what are they going to say at a, at a church-wide level that's going to alter this, the very course of how we've been approaching the pandemic? Mm-hmm. I was baffled by this letter because all it said is, you know, they said, you know, we're grateful. The Lord has heard our prayers about how to navigate the global 19 pandemic. Of course, as governments, as governments begin to modify the requirements for travel, masks, and other protective measures, we offer the following direction. We are now encouraging area presidencies and consultation with stake presidencies to determine on a local basis whether masks should be worn or other precautions should be observed in the various church meetings and activities. In doing so, local leaders should consider the guidance of local health and government officials and local customs and conditions. Uh, and then they, and then that's the first part. And then they make a point to say masks are still required in the temple. temple. And we'll get to that in a second. But that first part, I was just confused because that's been the case all along. Like nowhere during this process has Salt Lake come out at a church level or a national level and said, you're all wearing masks. You're all social. It's been like local decisions or lack thereof since day one, unless I'm missing something, right? I mean, I guess at at the most, it would have been the, it would have been President Nelson urging, you know, members to wear masks and get vaccinated. Which which they've done. But it was, that was not an official you know, like statement or decree kind of thing. I don't know. I, I wonder, yeah, maybe because there are, there has been a lot of controversy (laughs) with, with that particular statement. And I don't know, there are people actually leaving or, you know, losing their testimonies over that. I don't know. Maybe this is a way of saying, you know what? Just let your local leaders decide. It's the on church them. Is like, church is like, it's an election year. Yeah. We need to uh, do what the people want. 
Isn't that um, what everybody's doing? That's yeah. what's happening. It's it is kind of baffling to me, both because I feel like this is non guidance. Like this is the whole time my stake presidents. Like I've been in all these meetings, and the stake presidency has been like, well, we've been consulting with the area presidency, and they've been giving us leeway to figure yeah. out what to do based on, based on our Your local local leaders, local government, yeah, and abiding by Virginia law and stuff. Like, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so I do not understand what is different about this, honestly. Other than the, I don't know if the church is just trying to wash their hands and say you're getting nothing from Salt Lake anymore. Exactly. Like right. you said, like that's it. I, we don't. It's not on us. <laughs> You figure this out now. We're not going to say anything more about it, which might be the case because yeah. I don't know if you, when they announced the um, general conference is coming up, you know, and they want us to attend and they announced the women's session is back again after, you know, a, a one conference hiatus with that one session, you know. For oh, everything. right. It was curious that in that announcement, the church said they'll still have a limited number of tickets available. They'll allow in-person attendance again. It'll be I saw that, yeah. stri- strictly limited, but nowhere in that release did they say, in exercising an abundance of caution because of the pandemic. We want to open this up cautiously and thoughtfully, but allow people to come back. They said the only reason for it was because of all the construction on Temple Square, which is definitely Mm. affecting accessibility to the area. So I totally understand that. And like, you know, where do you mingle in the hours in between sessions and all, none of that's available right now. But they made no mention of COVID, which I found very interesting. It's too political. It's it's a hot topic. It's kind of funny. So I don't, I don't, yeah, it's just bizarre to me. The whole COVID thing right now is so strange to me because I feel like a month ago, like I was, we were talking about this before we hit the record button, but like a month ago, it was like, dude, Omicron is everywhere. This is hardcore. And we're hoping- Yeah, New York City was like back to March <laughs> 16th, everything, every, 2020. Everything, was, yeah. everything was, was nuts again. We knew it would peak and crash again. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of how these things go. And that's so it's good that that's been happening. But if you still look at like hospitalization rates, it's not like- this isn't like February of 2020 or anything. Like there are still yeah, or like the summer. It's just yeah. Like, this isn't we, even as good as like June and July of last year. Here. Like all like it's still very present. And so I'm frank. I know I think everyone's just exhausted. It feels like we've all just like given up because I'm. <laughs> if you look at the numbers, it's not like this thing crashed so hard. We're out of the woods and we can just be cool yet. Yeah, I know long-time listeners are tired of me beating a dead horse here, but at the same time, <laughs> well, I'm like, if you want to talk about like the numbers, like it just. Everyone's reactions right now do not add up to the where COVID currently stands. Thankfully, it's going down. Hopefully, things will stay good for a long time. But unless, but yeah, I'm just so like confused because we've all just like collectively decided that's it. <laughs> whatever. I don't. Whatever. Know. If if my if my elderly neighbor dies, whatever. Fine. <laughs> that's it. Um. Oh, so that's man. the one thing. The other curious one they had here. They talked about masks in temples, right? And the church has they, they reiterated the stance back in the summer when they they mandated masks among temple patrons. And they kind of uh, politely reminded everyone of that requirement, which mm-hmm. implied that people were not uh, obeying the rules. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I think is funny here, if you read the text, it says. For the time being, masks will still be required in temples where so many who attend are part of an elderly, more vulnerable population. That's one clause. Mm -hmm. And where our desire to keep temples open and to have as many as possible participate. Mm -hmm. And where our desire is to keep temples open and to have as many as possible participate. Mm -hmm. I only think that's funny because if they're saying masks are required for two reasons. One, because of the elderly. And two, our desire is to keep temples open and have as many as possible be able to participate. Uh Good. I'm just curious why why does that logic not apply <laughs> to, to our meetings. sacrament meetings? <laughs> Do they not also want as many as possible? To, I, I get it. Like you can't zoom in a temp, an endowment session. I get that. Okay, so that's fine. But I still kind of feel like, isn't there a bit of a disconnect here? Like 
We don't care. Is it not essential to keep our meeting houses open? Is it not essential <laughs> oh, to let you're reading between the lines? Come? We don't really need to go to our meetings on Sunday. That's not oh, it. that's the other thing. Are they saying it's it's not essential you know, that I attend? You know, side side note to that. Um, I so we had state conference a couple Sundays ago. Hopefully, no one from my state presidency listens to this. But um, um, some of us discovered that. Our state conference is streamed on YouTube, which is probably the worst thing you could ever find out if you're me and you kind of grew up thinking state conference was like one of those like optional <laughs> meetings. It's just how it was in my house. It wasn't until I, I was adult. I was like, wait, people go to state conference? Okay. And so then to find out like, wait, I can just go on YouTube and look up my state conference and it's just there and we can, I can be in my pajamas and not be fighting people for seats with no masks in this huge building. And yeah, that was a good find. You know, while you've been talking, I'm YouTubing here. You don't have to. You don't have to out your exact stake. You can tell me. Maybe if it it's rhymes, only temporary, if it, if, but the adult session and the and the general session were both on YouTube, and I just watched it from my couch in my pajamas. Was it over the weekend of January twenty second and twenty third? Um, no, no. It was February twelfth, oh. February thirteenth. It was okay. Well, this, it was. This is it was just last right. Sunday. Yeah, I found some state called the Glines Stake. I don't know where that is. Is that even in Colorado? No. Oh man. <laughs> but I mean, that was that was just a fun. I I was really grateful to my friend that sent me that link, and and then well, she sent me a link, and then she's like, you know, it's just on YouTube. You can just search it. <laughs> so I did. And that's all you needed. Anyway, now anyone who's in the <laughs> in my stake. Uh, now you know. You're welcome. Oh man! <laughs> what can I say except you're welcome? It is all Disney all the time. There's that's cool. All right, what else we got? What else we got? What else we got? Um, okay. Well, the Mormon tap. Oh, not the Mormon tap. The tap. The How choir. Dare you? I'm sorry. And you. I'm sorry. A BYU adjacent I, professional. I'm going to explain why I said that in a minute, okay? It's it's in the family. The Tabernacle Choir um, has announced four new goals for the choir, which yeah. I thought was interesting. See, I, I am a Mormon Tabernacle Choir family. I come from a Tabernacle Choir family. My grandparents, my paternal grandparents were both in the choir. For years and years, and they traveled with the choir, and they loved it. And um, then my aunt, my dad's sister, was in the choir as well. So, um, you go back. Yeah, this is legit. Yeah, so I guess eventually I have to move to Utah and be in the choir. But, um, but yeah, but four um, new goals. The first was to increase their or expand their digital audience or basically increase their social media presence as everyone is doing these days um, to, and it says they currently have a social media reach of hundreds of thousands of subscribers, which that's, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. That's quite an influence. It's pretty good, but you feel like they're so famous. They could have more. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So it says they're assembling a group of experts inside and outside the church to discuss how to achieve this goal. Well, what I love here is they're also talking about um, they want to attract other audiences, and they say they're going to be moving from CDs and DVDs to streaming 
right. on social media and evolving with technology. Yeah. I'm just, for one, I love that any statements like, we're going to move away from CDs. I'm like, guys, that was, that was like 15 years ago. <laughs> no, yes. I can't. I don't have a CD player in my car. But, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is just funny because I mean, they have like, I mean, they have like a Spotify station. They've got like, it's not like they're not on streaming. So I don't know what exactly they're getting at here. I know right. you can still buy those, those Tabcats DVDs at Deseret Book. That's the dream. But. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I am curious because I don't even like know. I mean, I, I can't say that. Like, do they have an Instagram? I don't follow them. They do have an Instagram. They, they well, post the stories. They, they, they do stuff. Yeah. They're, they're, they're I mean, it's, and they're called, like the hard it's called at Tabcats. I don't think it's at Tabcat. They don't like. I actually, wish they, it was. I will say their social media managers have a good sense of humor about Tabcats because we've they, <laughs> they they've re- retweeted and responded to a number of our tweets when we at them and we've mentioned Tabcats and they've got oh, they've got a good okay oh I appreciate it's, it's the Tabernacle Choir just like the Church News yes the one and only um, that's yeah, cool I, kind of I wish it would be like the real Tabernacle. <laughs> the real- <laughs> That's like ours. Ours has always been the real twin uh-huh. <laughs> for like a very long time. It yeah. has been the real twin. No, the, okay. Uh, I just followed them. So I'm helping them with their goals. See, look what you're doing. I just don't know what, yeah, I love the group of experts. I don't know what that's yeah, going to mean. I know. Is it, is it like, is it like TikTokers? <laughs> they're like, okay, I really want. here's what you got to do. <laughs> They're gonna they're gonna be delightfully a couple years behind. They're gonna have like images of women in the in those robes <laughs> flossing on TikTok. They'll be like, okay, Just, you got to learn this dance. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so that was one of the goals. The second yeah, goal was they want to magnify – the choir wants to magnify its role as a missionary tool, which, uh, hey, music is a great missionary tool. I mean, I've, I lo- I've always thought that there are – you know, some people – get or way or feel the spirit way more through music than any yeah. other way. Yeah. And so for sure I think they should focus on that. It's a great it's a great um resource for the, the gospel in that way or the church. Um and so yeah, so interesting to see how they're planning on doing that. And then the third objective is they want to be more reflective of the church's worldwide nature. Uh, President Levitt said, an important part of this objective is for the choir to reflect the nature of the church's global membership. So curious to see how they're going to achieve that goal, because that would kind of seem to indicate that they wanted to have a more diverse choir or maybe at least guest artists or I don't know. Yeah. Um, This is the one that, of course, has rubbed some people on social mm. media as we noted in our article about it like i saw one, one commenter even said objective number three is to apply inf- affirmative action and critical race theory to the selection of choir members the second part of that is great because i don't know how you apply critical race theory when you're choosing choir members that doesn't even make sense that's not a thing you apply it's just an academic pursuit <laughs> but um I wonder what this will be too. I mean, obviously, like this isn't Utah's fault. It's I, I get it. Like it's you need to be within a hundred miles of the tabernacle to be in the choir. Uh, all all your talent level and all that stuff is is equally important. You know, they they are rigorous with auditions for the tabernacle choir. Mm-hmm. You don't just get into it willy nilly. 
Uh, it definitely takes a lot of talent. You have to be able to sight read a lot mm-hmm. of complex music pretty well to be able to be in the Tabernacle Choir. And that's why they sound so great. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to do that and live within 100 miles of the Tabernacle so you can go to rehearsals. I just checked the map and I, I am about 400 miles outside. <laughs> Oh. You know the only the oh, only non Utah. Let's see. Looking at this at their map, the only non Utahns who could go. It's no, basically there, if there's Wyoming, you can there's be a in little, Evanston. If you're in Evanston, or if you're in like oh, very southern, southern Idaho, Idaho, you could get in on some of that too. Almost Nevada, so close. Wendover doesn't make it for many reasons. Many many reasons. Many reasons. Um, so I, but I, like, yeah. I totally get that a choir has to function, and you need people to be able to come to you rehearsal. Have to go to rehearsal. Fun. But because of that, the bass feeding the choir is extremely white, and it is, and it simply is not reflective of the church overall and the church's demographics, right? And so okay. I don't think this is the church trying to I don't, the church is and they have not said anything like so. What we're going to do is like turn away a perfectly qualified white person so yeah. that we can bring in a less qualified minority. They haven't said that. I'm just curious what they're going to do. Okay, here um, here's the thing. Though. What they're going to do to to affect this to bring in more diversity? Here's the thing, though. I mean, this these days. I mean, you can do most things over technology, and ha- having being familiar with the performing world, I think there would be a way to send. I mean, people. You could have individuals that lived across the country receive their music, work on their music, do some Zoom sessions, and then. Uh, a week before the conference, fly out to Salt Lake and have multiple, you know, rigorous rehearsals and then do the performance. Have like an outreach choir member. Yeah, like It's totally feasible. I want it to go even farther. I want us to invest church resources, whether whether that's from our massive slush fund, whatever it may be. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, you know, I would even chip in. I would chip in on my tithing slip to support this. Yeah. I think it'd be cool if they could bring in members from around the world on like a work study type thing. Oh, for like twelve month stints. Ooh. But the church would have to put them up in housing. It'd have to be a whole thing, right? This would be an That's expensive even endeavor. better. But how cool would that be? So and cool. For for better and worse, it would allow saints from elsewhere to also like be in Utah and see what the church is like at its nucleus, you know, for a stretch well, of time. Yeah. Also, it's a calling, right? So, so you can. It could be. Couldn't it be like a mission? Couldn't they have? And that's the other one I've thought. Young about, people yeah. from other countries, you know. I mean, we. I don't know. It would just be fun, I think, to see all ages. I mean, if that was your whole mission and you could also, you know, work at Temple Square or whatever, but then you're in the choir and you have an audition. And and, and that would be fascinating because the other thing, the, the age requirement for tab, the Tabcats is uh, you have to be between 25 and 55 years of age oh. to join it. So they would have to revise that. I love the idea of how we do different types of missions uh-huh. nowadays. They've tried Because now they say even when you turn in your papers... Yeah. You don't say like, oh, well, you know, if you have like a disability yeah. or something like that, you don't fill out different papers. Like everyone applies to be a missionary yeah. and you just send it in. And what they call you to do is now what might could be different. You could be a service missionary. Yeah. You could be a proselytizing missionary. And the idea is to take away a lot of stigma from the, yeah. what used to be thought of as like, you know, lesser, lesser missions, quote unquote, or what have I, you. If there was Why a not? singing and performing mission, I mean, I would, I would fight everyone. <laughs> Why not do it? That'd be amazing. I Actually, I mean, I know that that, that becomes very specific because it's like, all right, <laughs> we've got this wonderful, we've got this wonderful sister who wants to go on a mission who lives in Uruguay. Yeah. And we think she's, we think she's Tabcat's material. 
we think we can call her to this, right? Like, I think it's hard, but I think that'd be cool. It'd be neat. No, I think that'd be great. And I think, I hope someone is listening. <laughs> they should do that. I just can't. I mean, obviously, all, all these things are goals they have. They haven't fleshed out. I know. We don't know the plans, right? Right? Yeah, but that, we don't know the plans. There's but, definitely some potential for some And cool this has stuff. the first presidency support, by the way. We want to be clear. They were That's clear great. about that. Like, they've pitched this to the leaders, and they're like, awesome. Hit it. I like it. And then- Let's see. The last part, the last goal was to increase worldwide visibility, um, which is funny because I just always assume everyone know, has heard of the choir, but maybe not. I mean, I'm sure there's still <laughs> places they haven't gone to or touched. But so, it, I mean, that would imply they would want to travel more, but um, mm-hmm. but they did cancel their tour for this year. Yeah, the Heritage they, Tour is over. Yeah, they just announced they post, that. They postponed it twice yeah. already, and now they just said it's over. Yeah, which, yeah, I mentioned my grandparents are in it. I mean, that's all I remember is them just talking about all the awesome trips they took and all the like souvenirs that they brought home, and they would just talk on and on about <laughs> um, how much they loved all these countries they visited. So I, for sure, was like, I think they're in it for the trips. <laughs> Which it was, they made it look pretty good. So, so I'm curious. So about, I'm sad for the members who have had it canceled three years in a row. I'm curious about the funding mechanism. Then, yeah, when they go on, do they fundraise? Does the church just just comp it? Like, I, mean, I wonder how they do that. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm gonna ask my I'm gonna ask my aunt about that. And one thing that is a benefit of having it all be very Utah based is culturally, it's probably less of an issue if you tell your boss like. Hey, I'm in the Tabernacle Choir and we need to go tour Europe for a couple of weeks. And like, because a lot of those things like that, you know, it's not everyone has tons of time off. I have to imagine if you have sympathetic employers who get church culture a bit more, it might make things like that easier to carve out special mm-hmm. allowances to do certain things. Like right, that. right. I would guess. I mean, yeah. Whether that's like favoritism towards members of the church versus other random members, you know, yeah. non. Latter-day Saint employees who might also have, you know, pursuits. And I, yeah, okay, I get that. But um, yeah, that could be fun. Yeah, sad they canceled the Heritage Tour. That was going to be cool. They were going to tour around uh, famous locales relevant to the church's European pioneer days. Mm. But now it's all for naught. Very sad. That is sad. Maybe next year, guys. Next year. Now, Haley, I know uh, your kids are out of the de- the key demo at this point. Yes. But we had the Friend to Friend broadcast over the weekend. I watched it with my oh, kids. Oh, yeah. How was it? Uh, I love these things. I'm glad they did another one. And my understanding is they're going to have three of them this year, which is great. I like them announcing some great. regularity with it. Because the first one they did was this really cool thing. Mm-hmm. And my initial reaction was like, where has this been during COVID? Like, this is great. Oh, they should be doing yeah. it a lot. Um, for those un- unfamiliar, it's a, it's basically a broadcast designed specifically for primary age kids that they send out. You can watch it whenever, you know, That's after the so fact. Great. And kids are actually on it, right? Like kids basically host it. Yeah. yeah they, they I love that. Camera. Yeah. And I, I just, yeah, I've loved it. I think it's a great undertaking. This next one, this new one was shorter than the last, mm-hmm. if I am not mistaken, just from watching. Cause I feel like it was nearly an hour long before, but this was like 25 minutes. Um, and, you know, and they meet with members of the primary general presidency and they have cute vignettes and different <laughs> skills and things and stories and it, it all varies. So that was cool in and of itself. Yeah. But what was really interesting about this one is it will actually be broadcast with different hosts in different languages. So mm. traditionally, like a lot of things in the church created in English and then dubbed or subtitled yeah. into other languages. Yeah. In this case, though, 
I bet you cannot possibly guess what the other two languages would be. Uh, oh, um, <laughs> Spanish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say. Um, no, uh, Portuguese, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two. So <laughs> I, I couldn't think of any other exciting. Those languages. are the big ones. It's, you know, the only three languages in. <laughs> The, you know they've got the uh, the full quad in all four of those. You can you can actually get a quad in Spanish and Portuguese as well now. Oh, in English, and that's it. The quad was reserved just for English for a very long time because the church did not produce its own cut of the Bible until uh, recent history. Oh, okay. In the other languages. So, anyways, this is cool though. They didn't dub yeah. it. They actually brought in native speaking. There was these this explorer element. This friend to friend talked about yeah. basically three things you make. You're baptized, gift of the Holy Ghost, and like what the sacrament means, and kind of explaining that. And they framed it like you were sort of going camping, like exploring through the woods. Oh, that's so cute! Different things, uh, but I just think it's great that they did this in all three the whole broadcast, yeah. completely in other languages. I want to find them in the other broadcast because it's one thing to have the explorer hosts and the mm-hmm. other kid hosts speak their language. Yeah, I don't know what they did with the primary general presidency members if they let them. Oh, if they spoke in the tongue or. Mm what they did. I'm curious about that. And maybe that speaks to their capabilities. I noticed the president of the primary was the only one not to appear in person only via a video. And I, I was the whole time I was like, is this like, cause of COVID stuff? Like yeah. the president would be the one you think it would be there. Or yeah. maybe she had to re- record her remarks yeah. in different languages. And it was easier to do that offsite. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, yeah. No, that's great. I love that they're incorporating the other languages, but I also love it from the standpoint of any time that, you know, the church seems to be supporting like artistic endeavors and giving people jobs and to do creative things and, you know, produce these things, I think is great. Yeah. The original champion one 40, the arts. 40, to champion the arts. I don't think that's how the church is looking at it. It's champion <laughs> the arts, but, but I, I'm with you in spirit. I just don't know if that's their mentality. <laughs> well, I will watch it and be the judge of no, myself. No, it was good. It was good. I love <laughs> that they do these, and I hope they'll keep keep them up. COVID or no COVID, I think friend to friend is great. Kids need this. Yeah, that's no, great. that's awesome. That's great. But I mean, if kids, you know, they can they can relate to it, and it's more, you know, exciting than maybe going to state conference and listening to it. State talk. conference, I maintain, is the just like the most needed to be remote of all church meetings. It is a nightmare with children. It's just not for children. It is not for children. And it's just, I feel like it is, I feel like it's more impactful if you can just do a stream of it forever, (laughs) just forever and ever and ever. And you can at my stake, (laughs) (laughs) but you didn't hear that from me. Oh no! Please don't take it away. If anyone's listening, I'm going to find it. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to embed your state conference. I at least know the city you live in, and that should be enough. I can get to the bottom of this, Haley. It's going to be good. Oh man! Uh, real quick, couple couple random ones to mention here um, before we go. Mm-hmm. President Nelson inspected the roof of the Salt Lake Temple, and I love the LDS Living headline. It's just cl- why 97 year old President Nelson went up scaffolding to inspect the Salt Lake Temple roof. I mean, first of all, it's because he's President Nelson and he doesn't mess around. Right. This is President Nelson, right? He's like, yeah, I'm going up there. Yeah. The whole, And so that's what's going to happen. This, Don't they tell me about what to the, do. <laughs> so I love this quote, though, from um, Brent Roberts, who's the managing director of Church's Special Projects. Uh, I'm not sure any prophet has ever done that before or been that high before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Like, did he, he kind of walked into that one knowing that some people would be like, yeah. Oh 
my gosh. No president of the church, no prophet's ever been that high before. Have well, that could be. But I like that President Nelson cares so much about the nitty gritty of the temple. He says as they, he asks specific questions about the trusses, all these. Like he he wanted to go up there and really uh, really see it. So that's great. Good for you, President Nelson. Well, that I no, that's good. I mean, I'm terrified of heights, so I would be like, no, thanks. That's a hard pass. Somebody else go up there. So I'm very impressed. So when you see like on Instagram pictures of people like uh, looming on a little rock over a massive um, yeah, gorge no. in like Norway, you're just like, no, 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 no. No, or no, no. there's this new thing in New York City where you can like climb the top. You're like basically scaling a skyscraper like out in the wind. Why? Why would I? Are want those to the do ones that? where you know? It's, like I know there's one at the CN Tower in Toronto where they latch you in, yeah. and and you and you, at the very top, and you like lean out, yes, like that kind of thing. Yeah. But why? <laughs> I would never do it. No, no that does not appeal to me I'm at all. Oh, like there's that. that ride at the Stratosphere in Vegas where all it does is tilt towards the ground uh, and just like goes forward and then stops. And I'm like, dude, if the brakes fail on this thing, no. And that's all over. I think about in any of those situations. So yeah, no, that's no thanks. So. Oh, um, well, I guess one thing we didn't talk about is this past week was the candy bomber passed away. You know the candy bomber? Yeah, Gail, uh, Gail. Halverson. Yeah. Um, the first time I ever heard of him was when he was in Meet the Mormons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, made, he was big on that. And I thought it was such a charming story about how he... Um, back in his days when he was in the, or when he was serving in the Air Force, the kids in Germany, he would parachute candy down to them after he'd done his, uh, or taken his other cargo, um, his, done his other drops. Um, And he was known for that. And I thought that was, anyway, he, he um, lived in Provo and he was 101 years old and he passed away um what a cool guy yeah i mean i love the, the berlin this is all you know he started this during the berlin air lift back in the the late 40s um just so cool mm-hmm. and i love that this is what he wasn't limited to that he got famous for that mm-hmm. but he engaged in humanitarian work yeah uh, in relief efforts with candy and toy drops uh-huh. across america and you know in bosnia albania kosovo japan guam iraq the micronesian uh-huh. islands like this man, yeah. he he got it. He used his skills and his talents and the mm-hmm. things he was blessed with to impact the lives of others for better, even if it seems like you know almost silly. Like it's a bunch of candy yeah. for kids. You know, that that that's awesome. Well, I mean, like yeah, and, Berlin, and it made too. an impact. Like some, you know, he. I mean, these kids like remembered him and like <laughs> you know talked about it. And I think one lady wrote a book about it, a children's book. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, okay. The way I found out about it actually was um, Elder Uchtdorf's Instagram. Uh, he posted a picture of himself with Gail and then, uh, you oh, know how Harrison you put Ford? like multiple. Yeah, and then Harrison yeah, Ford. And I was yeah, like, nice flex, Elder Uchtdorf. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, so sad to lose my friend, the candy bomber. And here's Harrison Ford in the swipe, swipe right for Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right. I see you. <laughs> I uh oh man. Um I only hope he ribbed him a little bit. Like Terrison Ford being like, "Hey, I've never crashed my plane." <laughs> I hope so. Just saying. I know. So was it just some like 
cool guy pilot conference or something. They're about the same age too. Like I, I think really? I think personally, like I, yeah, Harrison Ford's like yeah. No Harrison way. Like, I think they're within like one or two years of each other. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Never forget Harrison Ford is much older than we think. People, he was already I... like forty when he made Star Wars. So how old when he made Star Wars? Forty. He was like he was almost forty or something. I mean, well, what you know, that's what seventy-seven. Oh, that's wild. It's been, it's been, it's been forty-five years since I Star guess. Wars. I wonder so. how old he was like when know. he did like Fugitive. Probably. Well, we could do some simple math here. <laughs> It's but it's more fun to sit here and wonder and help our listeners. <laughs> if you figure out how old Harrison Ford was when he made the Fugitive, if somebody knows a way to figure out not. how old he is, you'll get Please some candy, but not we from will. the candy bomber. Sorry. No, what I'm going to mail you is an envelope full of uh, fun dip powder. <laughs> it's probably and not good po- to send that in the mail. And, and let the postal service do without what they will. Okay, Harrison <laughs> Ford is 79 years old. Oh yeah. Fugitive was what ninety three, so twenty nine years ago. So he was only uh, he was late forties then when he made the fugitive. Well, now I have to. Right? Or is that late fifties? Now I have to look up. Okay, Elder Uchtdorf is eighty one, so they are super close. They're wow, contemporaries. We <laughs> came full circle. <laughs> I'm just going to name this episode "Contemporaries" and put a picture of those two on the on the artwork for the episode <laughs> and make no sense for anybody resurrect the days well it's been oh, a good man. week all right folks well we've done it please go to thisweekinmormons.com and follow us on social media instagram twitter and uh, facebook all those good places uh where we have more followers than the tabernacle choir um it's not true <laughs> but i want to believe it is they have 137 uh, 000 plus I, me i don't have that I don't have Just make that. your goals. Do, make your four goals known. <laughs> Just make my goals. Everyone, <laughs> our goal is to beat the Tabernacle Choir and number of followers. Then I will be a true influence. Make it happen. Um, thanks again to our Patreon supporters. Hey, three bucks a month helps us keep this thing going. So please go to patreon.com slash thisweekinmormons and make your uh, donation there. And then I get to claim it on my taxes. And it actually hurts me. So <laughs> if you want to give me pain, that's another way to do it because it's, it's not tax deductible. So... Thanks to all of you who do that. Haley, thanks so much for being here. I love having you on. Appreciate your time. So much fun. Always just a pleasure. (laughs) Always a delight. And until then, everybody, we hope you have a great week. We'll be back again next week to do more of this. And it's almost time to run up for conference season. So we're excited about that. So for Haley, I'm Jeff. This has been This Week in Mormons. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.